Irish NFL show. Firstly, thank you for listening to the show. We truly appreciate all our listeners. If you are enjoying the show, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on whichever podcast platform you are listening on. It makes a huge difference. It helps others to find the show, and we would massively appreciate it. Also, reach out to us on social media. We love interacting with listeners and with fans from wherever you are in the world. And with that said, Hello on with today's episode. Hello everyone and welcome in to the Irish NFL show with me, Colm Cronin. And today I am very happy to be welcoming an old friend back to the show. And we haven't spoken to in a little while. We were talking just before we got recording that there'll be quite a bit to delve into today. You can find his written work over at paulkowarski.com. He is also one of the co-hosts of uh, F-Words podcast. is a football and, F- and other F-Words podcast. Football um, and other F-Words, that's it. There we go. It is Mike Herndon. Welcome back to the Irish NFL show. Absolutely. A pleasure to be back. I'm excited to talk to you guys again. Yeah. Look, there's lots to, to talk about, but I... I wanted, I was thinking about like, because there was so much, and I was trying to plan this. I was like, where where do we go? If we go go back November 2021, the Titans okay. are eight and two. They've beaten the Rams, who would go on to, to win the Super Bowl. We are 18 months removed from that. And, you know, I think th- things are very split, right? I, I, some people will tell you the Titans are a dumpster fire. Some people will tell you that the Titans are, you know, going to rebound and and are in a division that's going to allow them to do that i think you're probably more measured from everything i see and your you know work on on twitter etc but how did we go from the titans sitting atop the afc to where we are now where you know realistically it probably is a reset season yeah absolutely it's it's been a it's been a wild time And, and honestly i think you could even go from that that divisional round game that they hosted as as the one seed, which almost seems crazy to think about now against the Bengals. And look, they had the ball at midfield with less than a minute left. They had they were driving, and then they throw the the pick. Ball gets batted out of Nick Westbrook Akine's hands and into the hands of Logan Wilson, and then the Bengals kick the field goal to win that game. The Titans very well. Like if that ball bounced anywhere else and falls to the ground. Titans very well could have won that game, been playing for an AFC championship, and and you know things could have been looking entirely different, you know now. But but that that didn't break their way, and then everything's been downhill since. Obviously, the trade, I think the trade of AJ Brown is, is kind of the turning point for what's happened over the last year and a half now. Um, I think that's that was the beginning of the end for John Robinson as general manager. Obviously, it was a shock of a deal. On, on draft night when he was dealt to the Eagles for a first and a third round pick, which turned into Traylon Burks. And then I guess that you could consider the third turned into Malik Willis, which has not worked out great either. But, you know, A.J. Brown was, to me, that was their young star. I felt like they were going, to, I felt like the path was Derrick Henry's getting older. They're going to transition to more of an A.J. Brown-centric offense. He would be the next star of this offense that would carry them into the post Henry era. And then they just all of a sudden dealt him. And now, now they feel like they don't have much of a direction on offense. I think I kind of see what they're trying to do with, with some of their 
maneuvers over the, the you know, since Rand Carthon took over, to me, it feels like a reset season coming up for them. You know, they got in a bad spot with the cap. A lot of that went back to signing Jadavian Clowney, trading for Julio Jones. They had to restructure money. They were they were playing the, you know, the old restructure game to try to fit as many guys into the cap to try to go for it, which, like, I totally understood because you were the one seed. You were You were playing in the AFC Championship in 2019. They were very much in the mix competitively at the top of the AFC. And they felt like they were just a player or two away and they were going for it. And I'll never begrudge a team for doing that in that situation, but now they're paying for it, right? I mean, now they they've lost some draft capital because of that. They've lost a lot of cap space because of that. And they they just needed a little bit of a reset. The offensive line got old all of a sudden. So it's really been pretty sudden fall for them, but I think you're looking at, look, they're going to look to transition to a new quarterback, whether that's Malik Willis or, or Will Levis. I think you're going to see that one of those two under center for them as the starter in 2024. I think this will be kind of Henry's or, you know, Ryan Tannehill's swan song. I think there's a pretty good chance that it's Derek Henry's swan song this season in Tennessee as well. So there's a lot of change going on here. Yeah. And I suppose um, get into that, but just to touch on the point you made around the the change in the, the general manager, because, mm-hmm. you know, from, from the outside, right. There was, I suppose, a significant amount of surprise, perhaps maybe as much as when it happened that it that as that had happened. In terms of your perspective as, as somebody who's closer to it and covers this team um, daily, kind of six months removed from that, I suppose just interested in in your take as to why they made that move right then and you talked about you can understand that the moves that are being made since like the in terms of difference of approach that the new regime has brought in like we are in a kind of um i suppose an era where maybe things are changing a little bit in terms of we talk about the evolution of football all the time i think we're beginning to talk about maybe the evolution of the gm position uh, certainly how he gets the spotlight. The Steelers obviously brought in a guy who doesn't have the scouting background and is going to lean into the guys around him. So things seem to be changing a little bit. And that seems to be the case a little bit, maybe with the Titans as well. Yeah. You know, I was, I was pretty shocked about the John Robinson move myself because I mean, frankly, the guy had been here for six seasons. This was his seventh. He had never had a losing season. He had, they'd had a winning season. Every single year that he'd been here, and, and look, they were five. I think they'd won five of their previous uh, thirty-two games when he'd arrived, and so it, he quickly turned things around, got them headed in the right direction, got them to that AFC Championship game, got them to the one seed. It felt like there was a lot of momentum for him here. I mean, he brought in Vrabel, which I think was an inspired hire, and that was his call more so than than ownership. So I think it's it was a little bit surprising, but if you look at some of the moves that led up to it, you know, that he's had, he had multiple horrendous drafts consecutively. They had the Isaiah Wilson pick, which turned out to be a total disaster. I mean, the guy flamed out of the league in less than two years completely after being taken in the first round. And then, uh, you know, Caleb Farley the next year, which they took knowing that he had a back history of back injuries, a history of ACL injuries. They took him, He's had more in, in injuries with ACL. He had another back issue. So they took some high-risk picks that did not work out. And they are that is part of the reason that this roster 
it became thinner and thinner over the last couple of years because you did not have those draft classes backfilling the the kind of older stars that he'd done a good job drafting to begin with. You know, the guys like Jeffrey Simmons, Derrick Henry, Kevin Byard, kind of some of his big hits early in his tenure here. You know, as they are starting to mature, there just isn't a next wave of young talent coming behind them on this roster. And I, I think I'm guessing that Mike Vrabel saw that. I'm guessing that ownership saw that and and decided that, you know, hey, after this AJ Brown move, we just don't agree with the direction of this team at this point. And look, Vrabel made a lot of comments that were a little out of character for him last year. You know, he had the uh, comment about it was before the Chiefs game. He had he had given a quote to Ed Werder about, you know, they asked him you know, about whether they could rely on Derrick Henry because he was coming off that game where they basically just ran Henry 35 times and, and beat the Texans. But they, you know, Werder asked him, can you continue to rely on Henry to that that level? And, uh, you know, his Brable's comment was, well, who the F would we throw it to anyways? So I think those kind of things you start to see, like there were roster issues that were starting to frustrate the coach. And they'll never say that Vrabel forced him out or anything like that or or even asked for it. But I think there's very clearly that Vrabel got more power in this deal and that he and Carthon are more of a partnership than a general manager above the coach kind of set up. It is, it is very much a they are on the same level and they're working together is the understanding. And, and I'm excited about Carthon from the standpoint he's more of an analytics driven guy, Robinson was kind of almost famously, uh, you know, chafed against analytics and, and was old school and a scouting guy and all that. And Carthon's got a scouting background, but he brought in Chad Brinker from the Packers to be his assistant GM, who is a big time analytics guy, Had his, has his own, you know, software that he's developing and stuff like that to help them model certain things. So it, it is a big step forward in that aspect going to Rand Carthon, which I, I think is smart. I, I think analytics, while it's not the be all end all, and it's not going to replace scouting, it's not going to replace coaching. It helps make informed decisions. It helps make you a smarter organization in general. And I, I never understood why the Titans were so adverse to, to information. And so I'm, I'm excited about that move. And look, generally I think Carthon's ethos and, and his directive right now is, get younger, get faster, especially on offense. And, and they're starting to take steps to do that. And and I suppose, look, going back then to the, the QB question, because ultimately this is the, the QB league and the, the Titans are, are in a conference that's absolutely stacked with QB talent. So, you know, I, I, the past week, you know, I, I suppose after Will Levis is, is taking the draft, we've now heard these rumors around Malik Willis. And, you know, you, I think all signs point to it probably being Tannehill's last year. But what is your sense of something to that's a little bit closer to it? Because from the outside, again, the Malik Willis thing, like they took him last year. He Then they kind of played like hokey cokey with him, like in out, in out, like was like they didn't seem to to trust him and is is that just the play is that that he hasn't bought in i mean again it's it's speculating but is there anything to these rumors that he might not make the 53 yeah uh so i, I think this is where they are with the quarterbacks i mean last year willis comes in he played relatively well in preseason but there were still some issues as far as you know, Vrabel kind of famously benched him 
during one of the preseason games because he, and he made a great play. He ended up scrambling for 17 yards and picking up a first down, but Vrabel was telling Willis in preseason. He told him at halftime that he was going to give him another drive, but he wanted him to throw the football and he wanted him to throw the football in, in timing, you know, run the offense. Um, And Willis was not pulling the trigger on open receivers in preseason. And it's something that, that showed up pretty consistently throughout preseason that, he was just not pulling the trigger when guys were open. And so I'm not sure if it's he doesn't see it thing or if he he just doesn't trust it yet. But the learning curve for Willis, I think, is probably steeper than what they may have, may have anticipated when they drafted him. Coming from the offense that he came from at Liberty, going to a pro-style offense. If you looked at one of the interesting things I thought when they picked him was if you looked at a heat map of Tannehill over the last few years, where he likes to throw the football, where this offense likes to throw the football is mostly over the middle. They they made a living off of those crossing routes off of play action, hitting those chunk balls to, to AJ Brown and Corey Davis, you know, when, when they were with the team. And if you looked at the heat map for Malik Willis at Liberty, everything was down the sidelines. All everything was outside the numbers. And so throwing over the middle just was not a thing that he seemed very comfortable with. So I think they were trying to kind of, it was kind of a square peg in a round hole kind of situation uh, with the fit in, in this offense. And I think because of some of that, and, and maybe they should have seen that during the scouting process and known better, but I think they ultimately looked at him and saw, all right, you see all the tools, you see the big arm, you see the legs, you see the build, everything like that. Uh, we think we can mold him into something and it just hasn't taken I think as well as, as they'd hoped. And look, when he played during the regular season, when Tannehill got injured, uh, it was not great. I mean, it, he, he made some mistakes, but I mean, he, he didn't break a hundred yards passing in a single game, despite, I think he started three games last year. So the, the results just weren't there. And then they made the change to Dobbs and look, they had other offensive issues besides Willis at that point in the season. It's not like they were, you know, ticking off 40 point games with Tannehill. But they make the switch to Dobbs and the offense looks a lot better immediately. And that was a troubling thing, I think, when when you saw that happen, because Dobbs came in, had been there for like eight days, steps into play against the Cowboys, and the offense looks way better than it did in any of Malik Willis's starts. So and against a good defense in the Cowboys, who was still playing for something at that point in the season. So I really feel like that that was the okay, we we may we still want to develop Willis. I think they still want to develop Willis, but I don't think they're counting on him anymore to be that next guy. I think that that's why they, he was drafted originally was he was going to take over for Tannehill. I think they're less confident in that being the case, which I think led Levis pick. I think they felt like they had to get another option on the table. And at some point the value became too much uh, for them to pass up once, once Levis kind of fell in the draft. Yeah. And, and I mean, I suppose it kind of fits into what you were saying that the next piece about getting younger and faster on offense because the draft to say the draft you know it was offense it was all offense yeah. um, and, and we here uh, on this part of the world we got to see Skronsky uh, for Northwestern against Nebraska uh, yeah. la last year and suffice to say he was the most impressive even though Northwestern did win that game their one win of the, the season he Stunt he shone. He, re he really did. You could tell he was very good. I suppose I'm interested in like hearing a bit more on what you think. Is he likely? Is it the guard route that they're going to go down? 
with him and i suppose just in terms of the the rest of the the draft picks and where you think they might fit into this offense and, and what we can expect from the Titans in 2023. Yeah, I think uh, I love the Skaronsky pick from a standpoint of, I think they got one of the best players in the draft, just period. You know, you can you can quibble with the value of the position and everything like that, because I do think he's going to be a guard. I think they're going to start him at guard. I think that's where he's best suited to play in the NFL. Could he play tackle? I think he could but I don't think he would be an elite tackle. I think he would just be a, a decent tackle. I think he can be an elite guard. I think he could be a Zach Martin, uh, you know, Quentin Nelson, this, this type of guard at the NFL level. And I think that's ultimately where they're going to play him. Uh, but I, I think he's going to step in and be their best offensive lineman right off the bat, which is probably not a great sign. Usually, even if it's a great prospect coming in from the draft, rookie offensive linemen often often struggle, but this is a bad offensive line. It was a bad offensive line last year. They've made a lot of changes. I don't know if they're going to to be, I just don't see those changes making them a above average offensive line. Certainly. I think they will be one of the poor groups in the, in the league this year. Uh, but I am excited about Skaronsky's future. I think it'd be very good. Uh, then Will Levis is one of the most interesting picks to me just because you know, in any other draft, he might have been the, the first quarterback taken. I think last year he would have been the first quarterback taken. You know, if you go back to the you know year before that, maybe maybe he would have been in the mix there too. But this was a really good quarterback class, in my opinion, overall. I think Levis has some flaws. I think he, he does a poor job of sensing pressure, his feel for the pocket. Like, just his feel generally for the game is somewhat lacking compared to the the rest of the quarterbacks. But there's other there's other traits. I mean, the huge arm, the quick release, the, you know, size, strength, mobility, all that stuff. He checks all those boxes. He's a very tough kid, you know, dislocated finger during the game, came back and played the next drive. It also was also, I think he suffered a uh, shoulder injury and a turf toe on that same, in that same game, finished the game, never, you know, I think he ended up missing two weeks with the turf toe after that, but you know, came back quickly and, and finished the rest of the season pretty banged up. So tough guy. I know they like that. And he's smart. I mean, this, this is a kid that graduated from Penn State in three years with a finance degree. I think he had a 4-0. Then he got his master's in finance at Kentucky while he was, uh, you know, finishing up there. Scored really high on the S2 test. There's a lot of tools in Will, Will Levis's toolbox to work with. It's just going to be whether they can unlock it and make it all fit when he comes together on the field, because there's still some stuff in his tape that it just doesn't look like all those tools quite connect. Right. So I think it'll be fascinating to see how he develops, how quickly he develops and how quickly they throw him out there. Because ultimately I think he's going to end up being the guy that secedes Tannehill over Willis, partially because I think he's, he's a Vrabel and Carthon pick. And obviously with the regime change, that's going to hurt Willis. I mean, it just does, you know, it, it's their hand selected guy and, and the old regime's gone and, and Willis was a part of that. So uh, I think it'll end up being Levis, but I, I'm fascinated to see how this, this whole, really the whole AFC South shakes out between Stroud and Houston, Richardson and Indy, and then Levis and Tennessee. This, this is one of the most interesting divisions in football to me from like the standpoint of all the quarterbacks at this point, you know, besides Tannehill, once Tannehill is put up pasture next year, all their quarterbacks are going to be 25 and under, and we'll see who comes out of it. So uh, then the third round pick was Tajay Spears. A little surprising to me. They went running back there. 
you know, very exciting player, explosive, reminds me a little bit of Aaron Jones from the Packers. Has some knee injury stuff, though, that is a little concerning. And then they, they three, I think really the biggest surprise to me was that they waited till round seven to address wide receiver. They, they've got Traylon Burks. They've got Kyle Phillips, you know, coming back from a, a season that he basically missed fully the season with injury. I mean, he, he played the first game, I think maybe two games, and then was out for the rest of the year. So they've got almost nothing at wide receiver that you feel great about. Burks, I, I think, is, is shown enough that he's a starting level wide receiver at the very least. But we'll see. And, and they took this kid Colton Dowell out of UT Martin in the seventh round. It was their only receiver addition in the draft. Pretty shocking to me that they did not address that sooner. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, he's a he's a big size speed guy, and and you know apparently is has some things that they like. So we'll we'll see how that pans out. But that is the position where you go. All right, what's the plan here? I I, I don't know because this is the worst wide receiver room in football, and I think the, the offensive line is going to be one of the worst as well overall. Even though they did do a lot of changes to that group. And, and in fairness, you know you haven't shied away from being you know pointing out the, the flaws and and you know tempering expectations without you know saying this is an absolute disaster we're going to have the number one pick next year etc I, I am interested in hearing a little bit about your thoughts the the rest of the division you touched on it there and I think one thing kind of that I saw you tweet that I would kind of agree probably because my own Broncos were terrible in prime time last year and I don't think we need to subject anyone to more of that <laughs> we, we all but you pointed out that, you know, the fact that the the league has decided in its wisdom that they're not really going to have Houston or the Colts the, in, in prime time. And instead, they're going to subject us to, you know, the Bucks and the Saints and the Broncos and, and the Raiders. Wow, look. <laughs> we truly, we truly, we are blessed. Um, <laughs> I, but... I'm interested, I suppose, in in your take as somebody, you know, who in and around that division, because, you know, it feels definitely like a sea change in te in Texas, certainly at Houston. They appear to have gotten in a head coach who they might give more than a year to, having treated their previous <laughs> two head coaches absolutely terribly. Yeah. And for the Colts, I'm a fan of, of Shane Steichen and what he can do and in terms of developing QB. I get why they went with the Anthony uh, Richardson thing. I think Chris Ballard's explanation behind that makes sense because he's got to roll the dice because otherwise he's probably out of a job. And the the Jags obviously have you know come out of the Urban Meyer circus and actually have a, a competent head coach and where we saw Trevor Lawrence last year. But, you know, they, I suppose, can can he can continue to develop, but they it doesn't feel like you know their off season that they really went out and made that you know an enormous splash. What are your thoughts on the Titans' divisional rivals? Yeah, I think it's. I really do think it's an interesting division, and I haven't thought that you know in recent years because you know most of the mostly these teams have been bad. It's been one of those laughing stock divisions, and and rightfully so. I mean. Uh, but the Colts with, with Richardson, I feel like Steichen and Richardson are, are a really good fit together in what they, they're trying to do there. I totally understand the plan in Indy, trying to reset around him. They've got a few pieces and parts on offense. Like you've you still got Jonathan Taylor in his prime. You've got Michael Pittman, who's a decent 
wide receiver. Alec Pierce showed a few things last year. And then you've got a you've got an offensive line that I think last year woefully underperformed their talent level. Because I still think Quentin Nelson's a good player. I still think Braden Kelly is a good player. You know, I I think I'm sorry, Ryan Kelly, the center, I think is maybe maybe on the decline at this point. But I think it's a, overall it's a good group, right? The 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 offensive line in Indy, and they've got that the youngster that they drafted last year, who will be assuming Rom and stepping in at left tackle. So I can see the direction there. I can see the direction too, right? A lot of talent over the last couple of years, you know, with, with Stingley last last season, they go and they went and got Kenyon Green, the guard in the draft. If you look at their offensive line, really, you've got two really good tackles in Tunsil and Titus Howard, and then you've got Green and the new guard they just traded for and extended Shaq Mason. That's a good offensive line if you look at the parts and pieces. So I think Stroud, you know, they still need to add weapons, but I I love Stroud. Stroud was my favorite quarterback in this class coming out. So it's going to be fascinating. I do think the Jaguars, I was surprised they weren't more aggressive trying to kind of double down on their success that they found last year. But maybe, uh, you know, their vision is that slow and steady is kind of winning the race here in this division, continue to let this core develop together and, and hope that continuity helps more so than like sprinkling in a little bit of extra talent. But uh, it's going to be a fascinating next five to 10 years, you know, because one of, I mean, you can, you can pretty much bank on at least one of the quarterbacks that was drafted this year is going to bust just based on odds and how this thing goes with quarterback selection. One of those guys is going to bust, you know, maybe one works out, maybe one falls somewhere in the middle, but who that is, I mean, it's wide open to me and I'm can't wait to end, look, you know, if all of them hit, then this is going to be the toughest division in football in, in three years, because you're going to have three, you know, your four young quarterbacks that, that are all very good. And all of a sudden it's a very different landscape in this division. So uh, I think it's probably going to be a tough year in 2023, just looking short term. I think Richardson's going to take some time. I think Stroud's going to be, I think Stroud will probably be pretty good right away, but I don't know that they have the the talent around him to be, good enough for them to contend for the division or really win more than like six or seven games in Houston. And I think the Jaguars end up winning the division pretty easily this year. Honestly, I think the Titans could compete depending on what they can get out of some of these, you know, kind of dart throws that they made, but I think it's the Jaguars to lose at this point. And and we'll see what happens with the quarterback development for the, for the other three teams. And in terms of, of Stroud, what was it about him that you particularly like? To me, it was the the accuracy, the quick processing. You know, I, I know his S two score was bad, but if you look at the tape, I mean, they, they barely he almost never got sacked, or almost never got pressured. And look, he did have a good offensive line. There's no doubt about it. I mean, Paris Johnson Jr. ended up going in the top ten. Dewan Jones was, you know, extremely talented. But part of the reason he never got sacked is that he got the ball out quick. I mean, he was he was hitting his back step and the ball was out where it needed to go. And his accuracy was was some of the he was the most accurate college quarterback that I've seen coming out in a very, very long time. I, I cannot remember the last guy that I felt like could put the ball not only on the body of the receiver, but the shoulder that he wanted the receiver to turn to. I, Jackson Smith and Jigba had incredible run after catch that catch stats at Ohio State. I don't know that he's that elusive after the catch. I think he was set up for after the catch by the fact that his quarterback was extremely precise and accurate with his ball 
giving him an opportunity to get upfield without having to stop and adjust to the ball or, or do anything like that. So to me, the accuracy was, was the biggest thing with Stroud and, and then the just quick rhythm passing game. I, I think that's going to fit really well at the NFL level. And I was hoping the Titans were going to trade up to take him number three. It sounds like they were going to, if the Texans did not take him at number two. So that'll be an interesting sliding doors moment here for the next five to 10 years as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I suppose that, that, transition from the college game into the league i mean other than having you know an andy reed and trading up i mean i don't i don't think you can guarantee anything so that will be something to to keep an eye on for for the the titans i will say where where did the best schedule announce video that we have seen, I think, in, in quite some time, come from how 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 did we how did their social media team fly under the radar? Well, I mean, they've uh, know their social media guy or their head social media guy a little bit, and I think I think they do a good job. But this is the best one that they've done by far. I mean, it, it was tremendous taking advantage of the random tourists on Broadway and and getting a bunch of these people to guess the team name based on the look is tremendous. Like. I, watched it probably 30 times and I keep changing what my favorite part is you know whether it's the Colts being called the Cowboys twice or the Falcons being called the Red Stallions I mean it's just so many gold nuggets in there and their their other one that they did with with Robert's Western World and all the cameos that was almost more a that was for the fans that was for like local Nashvilleians and that like most of the people that were making cameos in there were people that locals would recognize but the Man on the street one was absolutely tremendous. I loved it. When when you get an another team out there to, to change <laughs> their their name on Twitter, yeah. uh, because and and people recognize it, yeah, you have absolutely knocked it out of the the park. Mike, I always enjoy chatting to you, and I cannot recommend to our listeners follow Mike. I mean, don't have to be a Titan fan, but he is absolutely brilliant in his insights and he is one of the the most balanced people you will find out there in a world of hot takes you are the (laughs) antithesis of that and it is very welcome Um, for listeners who want to check out more of your stuff where can they what's the best way for them to go about doing that yeah so the easiest way honestly is just find me on twitter at mike herndon nfl and I will be sending out my links to my written work at paulkowarski.com, which is up every Wednesday and, you know, usually goes into a variety of Titans topics, but occasionally hit on some, some bigger league stuff. And then football and other F words is my podcast. You can look it up on any social or any uh, podcast streaming app of your preference, whatever you're listening to this on, look for football and other F words and me and my co-host talk uh, Titan stuff. And again, some more, some more league stuff as well in there. So. Well, I always uh, appreciate the the time you give to the Irish NFL show. And hopefully now that the uh, schedule release has been out and it's a a slightly quieter time before it all ramps up again with uh, training camp. So I hope you maybe get the opportunity to catch your, your breath a little bit before delving into the 2023 season. But Mike Harden, thanks again. Absolutely. Appreciate you having me. And uh, yeah, I can't wait for this season coming up.